0: Hello and welcome to the Boxing One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards and I'm your co-host today and I'm joined by my co-hosts Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode four of the Boxing One podcast where we discuss sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. We're just three brothers just hanging out discussing what we love the most which is christ sports and culture i'm grateful for these two guys presence and i just wanted to make sure that we um just gave a quick shout out to the homie jay hart who published a blog this this week right man
1: uh today actually
0: yes, today sir. okay what was it about
1: um, basically it was just approaching, um, the fact when kids are trying to get better at their games, their hoop games, um, some people don't want to put in the work and Chris and I, when we played together in college, we had a coach who always used to say, the work ain't hard. If you, if you love the game, the work ain't hard. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so it was basically just kind of touching on that topic and just, um, just kind of going through some things that I went through um, playing basketball and just trying to work through it and say, hey, you know, if you love it, if you really want to be good at it. The work's not hard. It's fun. So,
0: Wow. OK, so they can check that out at your blog. Is it HartmanBasketball.com? Yes,
1: sir. HartmanBasketball.com.
0: And look, if you all didn't know, Jay Hart is a basketball coach and he's a pretty doggone good basketball coach. So we had to ask him. Since our podcast is called the Boxing One Podcast, we had to ask him this question. Has anyone ever ran the Boxing One defense on you, or have you ever ran it on anyone else? First of all, you need to probably give him a rundown of what the Boxing One is, but then uh, answer that question for us.
1: Um, well, the Boxing One is a simple defense where you take one defender <laughs> – and put that one defender on the opposing team's best player, and they stay with that best player everywhere they go. As a coach, we tell them you get up in their jersey and you find out what they have for breakfast and you don't let them go anywhere else while the other four people are kind of in a square in a box around the lane, and they play zone and cover that area while the one person just chases the other team's best player around. So um, that's kind of the emphasis of the boxing one. We're trying to take that one player out of the game and make the other four people beat us.
0: And that is the emphasis of the boxing one podcast, too. We're trying to tackle one issue at a time uh, Coming out in the defense. That's just reckless trying to figure out what's going on in sports and culture And that's where we take that 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 analogy from now You need to tell me about one of your players because I think you guys might have seen this defense a lot And I think you may have had a pretty good player on one of your high school teams, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, a young lady I coached, um, big shout-out to Angela Muff-Mickens. She just graduated this past Saturday. Big up, Muff. Proud of you. Um, She was a pretty prolific scorer in high school. She was our best player um, for four years. She was all-state, all everything. And teams were trying to figure out a way to counter her, so they would play boxing one on her. And um, they'd put their best defender on her and just make – make that person chase her all around the floor. Most of the time it did not work. There was one time where it backfired against the team because as a coach, I was trying to figure out how to keep her from pressing against the boxing one and just trying to do too much. So what I made her do was come stand right beside me and it took the other kid off the floor too. Um, So we played four on four Hmm. and we had our four kids were better than their four kids. So we won. (laughs)
0: <laughs> got the w that's that's great coaching man great coaching i heard jay hart was a a, a legend a, a coaching legend the wooden the, the john wooden of virginia
1: oh, i wouldn't go that far right? <laughs> our uh the local well, our former local sports editor hubert grim he used to call me little gino for gino oriema so
0: nice uh, that kind of stuck around
1: for a while but
0: Hey, I'll take that nickname with the way Gino's winning up there at UConn.
1: Absolutely.
0: So so we probably want to stick with hoops right now and move right over into the NBA playoffs and we got a couple of storylines to discuss starting with the Cleveland Cavaliers absolutely on fire as they sweep the lowly Atlanta Hawks. Why would I say lowly Atlanta Hawks? Because I'm from Georgia (laughs) and the Hawks are who we thought they were. Hey,
2: does we that hurt
0: at all, man? Huh?
2: Does that hurt at all, you being from oh, Georgia?
0: Does not hurt at all. I promise you. Those
2: twelve you. straight losses to the
0: Cavs don't hurt a bit. Not a fan of the Atlanta Hawks, even though they have Coach Bud from the San Antonio Spurs, the great coach. Can you explain
2: team. to me how you can be from Georgia and not have any type of emotion towards the Hawks?
0: Have you seen the Michael Jordan memes that have the Hawks, the Braves, and the Falcons with the sad face? (laughs) Atlanta Atlanta has to be like one of the top ten saddest cities when it comes to sports. And I'm just not buying into the Hawks being relevant without a superstar. And that's (laughs) the problem that they have. They don't really have anybody that can take over a game. We saw it at the end of all the games in this series, and they got swept by the Cavs, the new-look Cavs, man. What do you think about the new-look Cavs? What's going on with them?
2: Man, I I just – part of you just wonders, is it just because it's in the East? Because neither team was playing any defense yesterday. I mean, it was Mother's Day. Maybe everybody was just in a great mood, but at one point – uh. Cleveland was shooting 73% from the field and Atlanta was shooting 78% from the field. It's like, hey, we don't care as long as we get our points on the other end. I don't think it's going to be that easy for them. At the same time, I do think what Lou has done with that team in the second um, two-fifths of the year, the last 40 games since the All-Star break, um, has, has been pretty phenomenal. And they definitely look like they're playing better basketball. And they felt like it seems like they finally figured out a way to put love in a position where he's going to be effective.
0: All right, I need to I need to ask the coach in the building about this coaching change, okay? Because everybody was lamenting David Blatt being fired, and they said, "Wow, they were you know all the way to the finals last year, and they're just going to fire Blatt, and they have a great record this year, and then Ty Lue takes over, and they become at least for one series." the Golden State Warriors of the East. 23 <laughs> threes in one game, man. Is this because yeah. of the coaching change? Jay Hart?
1: Honestly, like, I think coaching is about relationships, and I'm not sure David Blatt had that respect or could develop that relationship with those guys. Um, and I think with Ty Lou, he comes in there, and they've seen him play. Like, they know he's played for some of the greats. He's been coached by Bill Jackson. So I think it just becomes um, easier to accept the criticism um, because he's been there. And I think he's also kind of given them some freedom. I don't know if you guys saw the story. I was reading a story about um, how Ty Lu just basically looked at Kevin Love and said, you need to tell these guys you're a bad beep as well and tell them to get you the ball. And that kind of set the tone for Kevin Love's resurgence because it it gave him confidence. So I think Tyler knows the buttons, the right buttons to push. Um, But as LeBron, man, like he's got a history for wearing coaches out. Sometimes I think um, he wears on players or he wears on coaches and, you know, it is what it is. But I I like Tyler. I think it's a good hire. Um, I think it's the right person for the job at this time. So we'll see what he does heading into the Eastern Conference Finals.
2: John, I got a question for you. Okay. Um, you do a lot of studying of leadership, so you're in that position where you have to make the call. You know, um, there was nothing essentially wrong with Cleveland's record; they were running through the East anyway. Um, would you have made that call? Would you have, would you have been able to? Can you can you see why they said, "Hey, we need to make a change as a leader"? What's the leadership lesson in in the change we saw in Cleveland?
0: Um, the leadership lesson is essentially, I'm going to save some money. I'll fire Blatt, and then LeBron James becomes player, player coach because he's coaching that team anyway.
2: <laughs> he was coaching that team before, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I really do think that um, you know the Cavs' ownership and management saw something there in the, the dynamic that was going on on the floor. And I've always said this about Ty Lue. Ty Lue... Um, I always was famous for the Iverson step over. Shout out to Virginia again.
2: You know but, we do.
0: <laughs> but Ty Lu always found himself on somebody's coaching bench. Like every playoff series, I felt like I saw him in Boston. I saw him, I saw him all over the place. And I'm like, this dude is going to be a head coach one day because he just seemed like a sponge. So the leadership lesson there is like, buy your time be a sponge be relational because Lu is a relational coach and when you become or when you get that head coach job then players are going to play for you because not only is he a, a former player which david blatt is not at least not here stateside who can get respect he's also someone who has paid his dues per se and he's bided his time being an assistant coach in positions where he probably felt like he probably could be the coach, i.e. Cleveland, and <laughs> literally it fell into his lap, and here he is in the Eastern Conference Finals with his team breaking records for three-pointers made in a game, something that you never would have thought possible for the Cavs, <laughs> especially with Kevin Love, as you said earlier this week, Chris Lass, a <laughs> Has he, did he really like, was this like a body snatching (laughs) game where he just said, Kyle Corver, give me your body and your shooting form because I'm going to hit eight threes this game. What got into Kevin Love, man?
2: I don't know. Before I answer that, though, can we, can we, where do we rank for 2016? Where do we rank the meme of uh, Tyrone Liu's face on Iverson's body? While Blatt's face was on Tyron's, Tyron Lu's <laughs> body on the ground. Like, is that the number one meme of 2016 so far? Or no? I mean, did Birdman, did Birdman surpass that? Where do y'all, where do y'all rank those two? The Ty
0: Liu meme, it might be top five, but I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever gonna get Birdman. Like, <laughs> I, so here's the thing about the memes, right? Because <sighs> I, I think I might be tiring of the Jordan face. Even though the one I sent you guys with Greg Popovich was amazing.
2: <laughs> that was great.
0: I mean, that was like one of the most of them were just plopping his face on somebody else's body, but they like blended it into Popovich's face and beard. So it was just the best. But I think that the Ty might, me might be top five, but probably not the best. Birdman... Is number one, and he's gonna probably carry the year.
2: What about what about Jordan looking at his phone at the championship game and seeing the meme of Jordan Cron in the championship game? That they had three Jordan Crown faces in one <laughs> shot. That one was pretty amazing too.
0: That was that was great. That was great. That's why I'm saying like the Ty Lue one has to be moved down because I'm thinking of a couple of different other ones. It's just like definitely better than that, but. I mean, the Iverson step over was definitely basketball-like greatness. Everybody remembers that game, remembers that moment. So when Ty Lue became Iverson, it was like, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, because the funny thing about that series was it was a horrible series. Like, it was 4-0 right after that, but it's still the signature moment of that series.
0: Yeah, uh, it sure was. It sure was. So I'm not gonna let you get away from talking about Kevin Love because I know that that's your homie, that's your ace. <laughs> so I'm gonna need to know if this Kevin Love that we're seeing is legit.
2: We we've seen the full gamut of Kevin Love in the last two games, right? Because we saw him get crossed up by Chris Humphreys, and then get dunked on by Al Horford. <laughs> And that then a just on the offensive way. end and put up the most amazing double-double and then just shoot the lights out. So, I mean, like, these are all the things we thought Kevin Love would be, a horrible defender and one of the worst defending all-stars, perennial all-stars you ever want to see, and a great shooter. So I feel like he's really just being himself in this Atlanta series on just, both ends.
0: Um, let's move on to a more important topic, obviously. <laughs> Because we have a great series going on out west in San Antonio and (laughs) Oklahoma City as the Spurs and Thunder mix it up a little bit. And it's tied up 2-2. The game on yesterday, apparently, Russell Westbrook, as we've talked about before, remembered who the best player on his team was and deferred to Durant. It seems like it. And Durant drops 41 in front of Mama on Mother's Day. Now, is this cause for concern for my spurs? I'm not going to answer that because I might be biased, and I need to know that from you guys. See if you're concerned, see if I need to definitely block you from the podcast, the rest of it um, <laughs> or just might <laughs> go or cold Are the spurs, spurs going to be okay?
1: I think the spurs are going to be okay um. And the reason I say that is because, despite Kevin Gar or Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant going nuts in the fourth quarter, traditionally this year Oklahoma City has collapsed in the fourth quarter. Um, and I feel like when the game gets tight, I feel like the Spurs will find a way to pull it out. It may go seven. Um, for some reason I just have this feeling that those two wins that OKC have now are the only two wins they're going to get for the series. I think Russell Westbrook's going to do something crazy and cost OKC another game. I think it's good for entertainment value, but um, how, how petrified were those fans at OKC last night had Durant not gone off thinking, wait, we could go to San Antonio lose, be done, and that was the last game Kevin Durant possibly played in Oklahoma City.
2: Yeah, here's my question for you, John Richards. As you look at that series, like who is the most trustworthy decision maker in the series at the end of games? And I think that's where I'd probably have to lean where I'd give San Antonio an advantage. I think, I mean, they're incredibly talented but you just kind of trust San Antonio to do the right thing in the end of game situations. Not even, I mean, I just, I don't know, who do you feel like does the primary ball handling for Oklahoma city that you trust a ton at the end of the game. So I'm with Hartman on that. So if, if I'm a San Antonio Spurs fans, that's where I find my solace is that um, Oklahoma city just doesn't play with the type of IQ that like will put you away.
0: Why? Why does okay? So why does C Lass always act like Jesus when we talk? Like I ask him a question and he responds with a question. Answer my question, man. Answer my question, John. I have a question for you. No.
2: Listen, yeah. Answer, answer my question. All right. So number one, it was an open-ended question, and and I. And Hartman answered it. So then I just thought I'd ask you a question. I don't want you just moderating. I want you involved. So, like, honestly, like...
0: So uh, here's my answer to your question, Jesus. Okay? (laughs) Um, So I think that what Billy Donovan did last night was ingenious, or yesterday. He said, it's the fourth quarter. Play keep away from Westbrook. So what he does is... (laughs) He brings Kevin Durant to the top of the key and he gets the ball in his hand to be the primary playmaker. And that made all the difference in the world. Like Westbrook made one crazy shot off of a near turnover, like was in the corner, but the ball was still in Durant's hands. And I think Donovan is finally realizing I need a new point guard, quote unquote, in the fourth quarter. Because when Westbrook goes into panic mode, that's not a good thing for my team. So I think the ball does need to be in Durant's hands. But I still think that Durant needs to be more aggressive. And this is coming from a fan of basketball. Now, I don't want to see him do that because what happened yesterday. (laughs) But I think that at the end of the game, who am I trusting more? Westbrook or Durant? I'm going to say Durant 10 out of 10 times.
2: No, I'm saying completely like anybody, either team. Like who is the most trustworthy decision maker late game in the whole series? Who do, Who is that person?
0: Here's what Tony I'm going to say. Tony Parker. And I say that because the past two games, I'm like, where have you been? This is the Tony Parker that that I was looking for to play in this series. And he's been a great decision maker. Uh, during this series so I would say Tony Parker in a close second Kawhi Leonard because he right. just has hands that are ridiculous
2: but what I'm saying is if you're Oklahoma City you can't tell me you're resting easy on an inbounds play at the end where you even had the scenario where Dion Waiters is trying to get the ball to Westbrook or Westbrook is trying to get the ball to Deion Waiters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the worst case scenario for any OKC fan.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, I think where Oklahoma City and Billy Donovan have messed up throughout the year is they didn't give Cameron Payne enough minutes um, to get him experience where he could spell Russell Westbrook down the stretch here in the playoffs and they could trust him to get the ball to the right people. Um, because I think he's a much better decision-maker, and I think he's smart enough to know I defer and get the ball to KD and play defense and get the heck out of the way. Russell Westbrook challenges that. Um, so I, I just I think that's going to come back and haunt them in the long run because I think Cameron Payne, despite being a rookie, could have helped them out in the series.
0: I actually need Cameron Payne to know how to spell barbershop. <laughs> that's all I need him to do. Um, I I agree though. He's a he's a good ball player, and I don't think that they've given him enough minutes up until this point. And I'm okay with that as a Spurs fan. I I like seeing Westbrook out there late in games, and I don't need him to be spelled. I need his turnovers. We we need those. We need those to happen. So you know we're not going to talk about the other series going on in the East because I just it's just horrible. Um uh, but we are going to talk about Dame Lillard and Steph Curry and the Warriors Trailblazer series because this series has gotten pretty interesting because but apparently Dame got his curry on, quote-unquote, last game, and they got the W. Now, Jeremy Hartman, J. Hart, has come up with an interesting question proposition for us, and I, I want him to spell that out. And and see where we go with this, because I think we might disagree on this one.
1: All right. So when I just got breaking news, by the way, they said Steph Curry is playing in game Four tonight. So um, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But how do you get breaking news? I got the ESPN app, man. Come on, man. On what? On my phone.
0: (laughs) Multitasking.
1: That don't popped up.
0: It said breaking
1: news. Steph Curry. Available for Game Four. So, um, basically, I, I just kind of threw that question out there at you guys because I was, as I was watching Golden State in Portland and Dane was getting busy and dropping forty, um, he came off a high screen and roll, a little step back, shot a deep three and hit it, um, and the announcers made a statement that just kind of made me stop and pause for a minute because one of them said, "Oh, he—that's very Steph Curry like." And then they kind of had this little back and forth banter where one of them was like, "Well, do you think we'd get the same results if Curry and Lillard switched teams? Would Damian Lillard be considered an MVP or an MVP if he were playing with Golden State and Steph Curry was in Portland?"
0: I need to get I need to get C-Lass's opinion on this. <laughs>
2: um so first, I'll say um The interesting thing about both of Portland's backcourt and um, Golden State's backcourt is they're all four-year college players, and none of them played at a big prestigious school that's used to producing the all-stars. So it's kind of like already kind of this neat contrast between the two. Um, I still don't think there's any way you can say that like Dame is in the same level as Steph, but I don't think there's any way that there's – that. Dame is an all-star in the West and I don't, I mean, John had an interesting point in saying, all right, we'll take a point guard off. Who are you going to take off, Westbrook? <clears throat> the thing is like, if you got, if you got to go to war with 10 people from the West, like Dame has to be on that roster. Like, I don't understand how he's not, he's an incredible talent. He's a great shooter. He's carried that team. Even when your boy Aldridge left for greener pastures in San Antonio down at the boardwalk, um, Literally, it's just been a man for that team and carried an undermanned team deep into the playoffs. I love his game. I just don't think he's stuff, but I do think he's an all star. So, John, I answered that without asking a question.
0: Who, <laughs> who, who, who are your? Okay, so let me just go ahead and talk about that then, because you talked about him being on the squad, all star squad. Oh, let me who are you this kicking too. off? Who are you kicking off that team?
2: Let you me got. Add this. Go ahead. He might be the best rapper in the NBA too. All right, now. <laughs>
0: You're right. I th- uh, I think you may be right. I think he's better than Kobe.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's not very that up. Oh. The lowest point of Kobe's career. Was
0: oh, that happened. was the worst ever. Oh, my goodness. Worse than Shaq, but we're not even going to go there. Okay, so here are the guards from the West this year, okay? Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, James Harden. Kobe Bryant, who are you taking off that all-star team to put Dame Lillard on that team?
2: Well, can we say that he didn't have a better year scoring the ball than Harden, but he had a better year?
0: I don't know about that. That that makes no sense to me. Because when I think Dame Lillard, I think scorer.
2: Right. So he didn't score at the level of James Harden, like points per game. But James Harden played with another all-star and didn't get his team to the playoffs. Dame Lillard lost an All-Star, got his team to the playoffs.
0: Well, this is in February, remember? We're talking about all the way up until February, so we, we weren't even sure that Portland was going to make the playoffs at that point.
2: No, they've been in that playoff position the whole year because I remember them, like, and then the game after the he didn't make the All-Star game, he must have hit Steph for 50. Oh, he I said, did. Oh, this
0: oh, I, I remember seeing that. So, so you're saying take James – Slow-motion Harden off that team. And I'm telling put, you, put Dame make on the
2: argument team. the other way. Tell me why Harden should have been on there before Lillard.
0: Harden is one of the most prolific scorers in the NBA.
2: And he sat at home in the playoffs. And last year, when they knocked the Clippers out, in game six, when they made that huge run, <laughs> Harden was on the bench. Lillard's a warrior. He's out there carrying his team.
0: No, I understand what you're saying it just It just seems really hard <laughs> to take any of these guys off this team, um including Kobe, just for the legacy pick.
2: Was that you saying something nice about kobe? yeah i i
0: can we just stop now?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what just happened to me. I don't know what I don't know what happened. all right so yeah i I don't think that swapping teams will make Dame Lillard, Lillard uh, Steph Curry. Like Steph Curry is another another universe right now. And I'm not saying that Dame isn't great, but he's not going to be MVP of the league because he's playing with the Warriors. If they swap positions right now, he wouldn't be MVP. Steph would probably still be an all-star over him, and he might actually
2: score 38, 40 a game.
0: Who else is going to score
2: besides yeah. C.J. McCollum? Like, like, granted, Steph is great, but when you got the second best shooter in the league on your team, you're not getting double team. You're not. I mean, you're just not. Like, you're not changing your whole defense just to give Clay Thompson wide open three looks.
0: Oh man! So what you saying about <coughs> Ger- what are you saying about Gerald Henderson? <laughs> 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 Dang, Gerald Henderson. See, last just called you out. He said you were a bum. That's did we all right. Know he
2: was in the, did we know he was still in the league before the playoffs started?
0: Nobody knew. Nope. Actually, everybody probably thought he was still in the Bobcats, a.k.a. Hornets.
2: I did, too. And so when he popped <laughs> up getting somebody's face, I yeah. said, what?
0: He came over in that Batum deal. All right, man, let's, let's swap. Um, Let's switch gears here for a moment and talk about Our man, Russell Moore, who is, I mean, Laz, you like Russell Moore, right? That's your man's, right?
2: I like Russell Moore, yeah.
0: All right, man. So let's talk Russell Moore news, man. What happened this week?
2: All right. So basically, all right, first of all, just to give a little history about um, Russell Moore and why I appreciate him so much is because um, he's high up in the um, Southern Baptist Convention. He's one of the leaders, one of the faces of um, evangelicals. Kism, whatever that word is you want to say um, and so what what I really appreciate him is he hasn't shot away from talking about race a lot of the times when a lot of other theologians have fallen silent when political issues and social issues is hit like he's kind of been the voice for saying like hey like this was the church's mistake in the civil rights movement and we're not gonna make it again and even though he's very balanced in a lot of his approaches um, A lot of flack for saying like why do you need to be involved in that like don't be persuaded by the race baiters and he's fairly consistent and fairly calmly said like no this is a gospel issue and like i've really appreciated that about his ministry over the last few years so Mm. Mm. and so he was in the new york times with the column um and i think you had a part of the column there but i just love the story that he told like introducing the um, column about a church down in the south where um essentially all of the church members had moved out to the suburbs and then the church wanted to have an influence in the inner city, but all the inner city was black and the church was wondering why it couldn't grow. Um, and then just talked about like how we were, um, somehow we were uh, losing ground and how some of the choices we had made in the past had left us in some interesting conundrums as evangelicals. thought it was just a really good article. And I know you had a piece of it at the end that was really powerful that you were going to share.
0: Yeah. So, you know, he, he goes through the article and talks about, um, the article is called White No More. And I think it, it deals with um, the changing face of evangelical Christian Christianity um, and talking about how Western Christianity has dominated the landscape so far, but things are kind of shifting, um, not only geographically, but also demographically. And he he ends the article with the mic drop to end all <laughs> mic drops. OK, <laughs> he says that the man on the throne in heaven being Jesus is a dark skinned, Aramaic speaking foreigner in quotation marks, who is probably not at all comp- impressed by chance of make America great again that's like boom drop my New York Times article over then your boy (laughs) your boy Donald Trump actually tweets at him like he comes at him in those Twitter streets and is like um, he does not speak for evangelical Christians and he's basically he just called him out as being just not smart um i'm like donald trump now speaks for evangelicals and he's he's coming at russell moore that's kind of crazy but i just thought it was an interesting article because again we have someone who's part of a denomination that has traditionally um at least in the past not spoken spoken on race issues they're doing much better there's been a resolution that they've adopted that admitted some of their past sins the president of the sbc is now an african-american so they're making strides and russell moore is one of those guys who's on the forefront but there are those in the african-american community some um in, including christina cleveland who um weren't too uh, happy or impressed with the article and her point is that we've that particular group of folks Have been talking about this for so long and now because a leading voice in white evangelical christendom is saying something about it it becomes an issue um so to some degree some people understand her point but um others are still thinking through like this is a good thing so i just kind of wanted to just talk through that because i think that You're going to have voices on both sides because some people are frustrated in the African-American community because it you've been yelling this from the rooftops for so long that it takes a white voice to actually amplify it. And that seems unfortunate for some people.
2: Yeah, I mean, at that point, though, like, I think we recognize that that is what it is, John. I think the very first time we had done the podcast. We had mentioned about like Branch Ricky, you know, and um, the role that he played in helping Jackie Robinson integrate baseball. Like it wasn't like Jackie Robinson could just pop up in baseball. You know what I'm saying? And so um, essentially. There's this verse in Second Corinthians, and this isn't the exact context of it, but in Second Corinthians eight, saying like um, Paul's telling the church in Macedonia, you know, like follow the the he says, follow the model of Jesus who, though being rich, he became poor. And so I think one of the principles we learn from that is like, hey, when you see people like that are that are being like marginalized and you have a voice, like you lend that voice like you come down, you know, and I like in in Russell Moore, I think what he has acknowledged is like, I have to say this for my brothers because my brothers can't say this. You know what I'm saying? Or they can't say it or they don't have the audience. So I'm going to lend my platform to it. And so for him, I see it as a calculated move that is not gaining him popularity. He's not doing it to be more popular because it's probably had the adverse effect. He could have been quiet about the issue and been more popular. And I think that's something we need to take into account when we criticize him. I just would like... All of us, and I, I tweeted at both of them and said, I appreciate both of your stances, but I just think, like, the one person who's actually willing to risk part of his platform um, to to take on that criticism, to be part of the solution, to bring those issues to bear and to the forefront, um, just to be careful with um, criticizing him, because I'd hate for him to feel like he didn't have support in, like, speaking on issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of, of platform, I want to go over to my, my 116 resident expert, Jay Hart, and talk about our boy.
2: 116.
0: <laughs> our boy, LaCrae, who this week <laughs> appeared on ESPN's first take, a very popular show on the network. And he appeared there to discuss his book, Unashamed and uh being a part of the hip-hop culture including sports and he talked about different chaplaincy opportunities or opportunities he's had to come and speak to different sports teams and it's interesting because skip and uh your boy from philly what's his name steven a oh man i <laughs> I'm not a Stephen A. fan, um. So they were they were really engaged and and really interested in what Lecrae had to say. And it's interesting because Skip was like, "Hey man, I listen to your music, and you're like one of the first Christian hip hop dudes that isn't corny." And I was like, "Whoa, that that's kind of crazy." So Jay hart did you see the segment? And and was there <laughs> anything that was encouraging for you there, or anything that just you know that you felt might that he might have uh, should have laid out a little bit more in terms of the gospel.
1: I did see the segment. Um, a couple of the things that stood out to me is I think Lecrae handled it very well and gracefully. I think Stephen A almost seemed like, with some of his questioning, almost seemed like he was trying to throw a little bit of shade or to try <laughs> to, No, because he, like, he threw it out there where it was like, okay, I know you're a Christian, but... How do these people accept you, or how can you really relate to these people? Um, and I think there was almost some skepticism on Stephen A's part. Skip Bayless he almost seemed reverential toward Lecrae, like he was like bowing down to Lecrae. You're great. I think you're this. I think you know you're refreshing. I think there was a lot of clash shown on Lecrae's part. I think he did a good job of keeping um, the focus where it needed to be. He wasn't trying to make it all about him. Um, he did say, hey, I'm a Christian that does this, and you know, the, the whole conversation with the, the genre thing and, you know, is, is he making gospel music or Christian music and whether or not he's an artist who's a Christian or a Christian artist, like, I think that, that conversation is going to be around for a while, but I think Lecrae handled it with class. Um, I think he did uh, as good a job as he could. He answered the questions to the best of his ability. Um, My favorite part had to be when he was talking about when he did the uh, chapel service with the giants and he was trying to make everybody seem like as normal as possible. Like he understood. And he was like, Oh yeah, I need a volunteer. Like you, you right there. What's your name? And he was like, Oh, Eli. He was like, of course it is. Um, And talking about, (laughs) Um, right. So, you know, I I think, I think he brought a lot of light to it. And I think um, the Lord can use him in that situation because I think his platform and what he's, going through and um, kind of the things that are being thrown at him. I think he can relate to them on that level a little bit. And I think he said it uh, best when he said, you know, I don't, I don't ask them for autographs. I don't treat them like they're superstars, like they're people that struggle. They have different things going on in their lives, just like I do. So um, I think he handled it well, um, about as well as he could have.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, So there, there was a pretty, uh, pretty significant discussion about hip-hop on First Take and he talked about his affection for hip-hop and um, interestingly enough, in the last couple of weeks, one of the quote-unquote godfathers of hip-hop had some very interesting information come out about him in terms of his dealings with um, young men that were around him. African Bambada is his name. And um, other people have come to his defense in terms of what, how he's dealt with young men, but because he's one of the Godfathers of hip hop, and you know, usually when you're a founder or establisher of something, then there's a question of whether or not it has any redeemable qualities per se. Um, so with that information coming out, and even with Lecrae um, showing his affection for hip hop was there anything that may have dampened the gospel in that conversation
2: Here, here's something and it's been super interesting for me um you know when lecrae and them first came out like they were so hard about this 116 mantra being unashamed of the gospel and it was almost like a rallying cry for christians um and like i don't want to get into the whole label thing maybe one day um we will want to get into the label thing, but um, I think as he's grown, like the verse that more reminds me of Lecrae now is the verse where it says, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Um, But um, my pastor said this this week, and I mean, I just, I've been kind of chewing on it all week um, since he said it, but he said, "Um, if I say God saves sinners, and then I hide my brokenness and like boast in my, like, what did he say? Um, like self righteousness, then I don't believe the gospel. And all that just has rocked me and saying, like, yeah, if we're saying like God has saved sinners, that God, like, is the God of grace and this grace is amazing, like, then what in our actions reflect it? And I think what I've seen in LeCrae is just him growing and saying, like, whoa, this isn't about me being self righteous at all. And like, I'm only laying out my brokenness in the book, which I hope to read soon um, in an effort to show people the God who healed me, not that I'm great. um, But I think some of that comes along and I'm not saying that Lecrae hasn't made any missteps and kind of how he's rebranded or anything like that. But I think part of that is just like a deeper understanding of the gospel. I feel like I've kind of been growing at the same pace and starting to make some of those same understandings of like what the gospel truly is and what the gospels truly is, is not. And it's all Christ and it's none of me. And um, so it's just been, I think the unfortunate thing is he was just labeled and boxed in the box so early as being the next person who is going to be the next cross movement <coughs> that there really hasn't been room for him to branch out. And I'm not saying I agree with every single way he's branched out, but like, I do love the part where it seems like he's truly understanding the gospel at a deeper level to where, like, hey, like our God is a God who heals broken people. So, mm-hmm. like, what about you? What would you take away from me?
0: So from the in- entire interview, I I, I really <laughs> like the fact that he's engaging an audience that other people don't have a platform for. And because he's doing that, um, they're being they're becoming more intrigued. Uh, You know, as Jay Hart said, look, here you have Stephen A. trying to push him into a corner. It's sort of like, you know, the, the Pharisee or the teacher of the law coming to ask Jesus a question. And then, like, he flips the entire script on him and makes him think more introspectively or even makes him think differently about him than he felt before that interview started. Um, so you don't even know what type of quote unquote seed that was planted there. Um, so I'm just rejoicing in the fact that, you know, he has a platform there. He's going on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, he's going on Jimmy Kimmel, like different places where, you know, the message, even though it may be different, um, the method may be different that the message of the gospel people are starting to ask questions and inquire. And, you know, prayerfully, he's continuing to grow and mature in ways where he can, um, you know, continue to present it in a way that people <laughs> are continually pointed to the cross um, and continually pointed to to where they need to be, which is Christ. So uh, that's my prayer for him as things start to expand for him. But it's just good to see somebody on first take who has who's clothed in their right mind. <laughs> so to speak <laughs> um and and not having always having someone on there who's just talking about different things. They spent that entire segment literally talking about hit the way that he's impacted sports um, and different athletes um, as Christians. And I was like, wow, an entire segment devoted to this, whereas in the culture, they don't want to talk about Christianity. we <clears throat> don't want to talk about it at all. And we, here we are on a major network, sports network, talking about it for at least 25, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So praise God for that.
2: Yeah. And I, if I could just add one last thing, um, like some of the criticisms would probably be things like of Lecrae would probably be things where I'll be like, yeah, I can definitely see like where that person's coming from. But um one thing one thing that i've seen is just a lack of graciousness it seems like in sometimes dealing with lecrae sometimes i just feel bad for that dude man it just seems like uh like he gets beat up a lot by christians um mm-hmm. and and i also wrestle i don't know if you guys have ever thought about that but like man like we kind of get this one life you know like lecrae don't waste your life um really it was john piper book first but um like we get this chance to impact the world, but like, as we decide, like, hey, we're going to live for Christ and try to maximize our impact for the gospel's sake, man. Like um, that comes with a lot of criticism and a lot of wounds and just saying like, man, I don't know, like, I guess you just the Lord gives you grace as he extends your platform, man. But that seems like a, a tough road to bear. And sometimes since we're all one body, it seems like it's kind of tough unnecessarily. Mm so. So,
0: I mean, it's just like, you know, Paul wrestled with this same thing, not saying he's (coughs) clean in his approach at all, but like coming back to Jerusalem with anxiety, like coming back to the church, having to explain how he's presenting the gospel and how he's reaching these Gentiles that the church isn't necessarily equipped or even prepared to do. And Paul um, comes there with a lot of anxiety, but because of the heart he has, because he wants to see people transformed by that message, um, the church eventually uh, receives that message, and you know they send back that letter out to to the diaspora, like asking them to do a couple of different things. But the whole circumcision thing apparently becomes off the table at, at that point, so to speak. But uh, you know prayerfully. We as a church can understand that there are different. There's going to be different methods, um, as long as the message remains the same, and uh, we can just pray for the people who are out there doing it differently than we are. Um, and I think that that's, that's probably some wise counsel that comes straight from first-century church and from what they've done. Yeah. So speaking of gospel, man, I know you know you know you guys are um, well-read men of God. And uh, I just wanted to get personally because I always have to ask people this. It's just one of my things. Like, what, what is your, if you had to be locked on an island like Patmos, not burned with any oil or anything, like, like,
2: <laughs> why'd well, had to be that island?
0: No, so well, if you're the you're yeah. on a deserted island that you can take one gospel with you,
2: what would it be and why? Luke. I'm going Luke. You mean just like one of the like one of the four gospels?
0: I hope so. I don't know if there are <laughs> any other We, we <laughs> yeah. don't want to talk about Thomas and the others right now.
2: Luke, I'm going Luke. I'm going Luke every time because, um, I mean, he a Gentile like me, right? <laughs> like, no, um, but like the theme of Luke that he's the savior of the whole world and Luke has so much, even though it's one of the synoptics, it's like the most different of the synoptics where um, you have so many different stories that only appear in Luke that kind of like that luke uses to tie into that hey jesus is the savior of the whole world theme so luke is like um as somebody who's done a lot of campus ministry like i've always been partial to the gospel in luke so
0: hmm Hmm. that's good man a lot of women and children in luke too i like that like that component of it those who are disenfranchised what about Mm -hmm. you what about you sir
1: oh man you know, i I would probably say John because I feel like I've spent the most time in that book. Um, wow, I don't know. I like Luke too. Like I sheesh.
0: really, I you just going to do be double minded. I mean, all out of context, can but I'm just take the
2: whole New Testament <laughs> with me.
0: No, <laughs> one book, man. one gospel, <laughs> one gospel that you have to chew on over and over again.
1: I would have to say, John, just just from the fact that um, I spent so much time reading that and doing book studies and, and that gospel. So um, I would go with John.
0: You're going to have to go with John's gospel. OK. Yeah. So for me, that is a likewise a difficult choice. Um, I actually like Mark a lot i think that the uh immediacy of mark moves me uh and moves me to do like just seeing those words immediately immediately 16 chapters it's like a gospel tract um that mark released first to the church um, <coughs> and then it just ends abruptly like women are scared now go do gospel work it's like what <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, appreciate that one for sure But I I think I'm actually Going to have to go with John And it's not because it's my namesake um, <laughs> I, I just like the exalted view of Christ From the very beginning And just, just seeing it Through all the I am statements in John And knowing that 92% of the material in John Is unique to John's gospel It's like John what my goodness, he was laying on Jesus' bosom for real. Because he had, um, he wrote a lot of content that was um, very encouraging for me early in my walk, you know, just reading John and the New Living Translation before moving over and just being encouraged by some of the words in there um, have caused me to have an affinity for that book. So, yeah, I would say the Gospel of John.
2: Um, um, Can we can we make a point, though? Can we make one other point? What's that? All right. So like as you begin, like, you know, like the Sunday School Exeter is like, oh, like tax collectors are, um, you know, like they're like our IRS, you know, like we just think, oh, they bad people. Then, like, as you start to understand theology, you start to understand, like, the betrayal that had to take place in a community for someone to be like a tax collector. And so, like, to have the Gospel of Matthew, like, written by someone who was a tax collector, then used to write one of the books that will like highlight Christ's ministry for the rest of <clears throat> our lifetime. Like, I, I think that's the most amazing story of the writers. So, like, I love that piece, too, like when you get to Matthew nine and it's like at the end of the two chapters that are about miracles. And Matthew says, yeah, I got to include my own testimony in this miracle stuff right here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I love I think that to me is one of the most powerful things in all four Gospels. But mm-hmm. I'm still riding with Luke if I got to go.
0: And and just to take <coughs> you back, I mean, think about the redemptive value of Matthew's story himself. He's a tax collector. And Jesus comes around to a point in that gospel where he's picking the person to keep his money. And Matthew has his resume ready. Like, dude, I collected taxes. And then he turns around and picks Judas. Like, if that's the leadership fail in most people's <laughs> books, that's probably. On the list, for sure. And Matthew's spending all this time probably thinking through, like, why didn't he pick me? And then years later, God turns around and says, look, I want you to be the guy who writes the most about money. So none of your gifts are wasted. They're just not in the time that you want. And I'm just like, that's just amazing to me that Matthew may have been frustrated, and then he turns around and talks about parables of talents and talks about money more than any other gospel in the New Testament because God says, I'm not going to waste anything that I placed in you. It might not be in the time that you want, but <laughs> I'm not going to waste it.
2: So, so, there you go.
0: No, even in all of that, I just, you know, em- encouraged myself. Because, you know, there are times when I'm always like, Lord, why didn't you use this for your glory? I promise you, it could have been for your glory. And he's like, <laughs> well, I, I, I was
1: just getting ready to say, I was like, man, I was like, this brother just encouraged me. Because I'm sitting here like, okay, I got this in me. And, like, you know, this is something that Chris and I have been wrestling with, especially with, like, the job changes. And it's like, man, like, you just Amen. really encouraged me. Mm. Um, just with that statement, like. Yeah, he did use it. Like the Lord did use it. It just wasn't in you know Matthew's time, but it was still used. So, wow, what a what a powerful encouragement um, for the day,
2: man. Goodness.
0: Praise God, man. Praise God. So, John, sir.
2: My um, my second time at Legacy, I was at um, I had a roommate named Ricky Love. He was from Richmond, like me, Uh, Virginia. He was from Richmond. I'm from Staten, but um we talked a lot about Matthew's table and immediately, like the next thing that you read about Matthew after like Jesus called, he invites all of his friends and says, like, come to Matthew's table to meet Jesus, meet this guy I met.
0: Hmm.
2: And it's just a beautiful picture of what the gospel supposed to do. You know, like, hey, I met him now, you meet him. And um, it was, it's just such a beautiful picture. So like that part of Matthew always encourages me.
0: Hmm. So. Mm. I think we may have changed your mind on your favorite gospel, <laughs>
2: no, but it's Luke.
0: fine, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> that's great Ben, I'm, I'm glad to have that conversation because I love to hear, hear from people like what encourages them from particular books and scripture, um, and maybe we can hit some Pauline later, letters at some point, and I'm not going to let you guys say Romans, and then, 13 uh, letters. 13 letters, <laughs> So we can roll from there. So I'm glad that you guys were encouraged. I was encouraged tonight, even just through the, uh, just hearing what your favorite gospels were. It's, it's great that uh, that God has given us this complete canon of scripture um, to speak to us and to minister to us. And um, even in talking sports and culture tonight, I, I was encouraged just hearing hearing from you guys and hearing about. Um, How God has spoken to you through his word. So I appreciate you guys for sharing Um, And that concludes our episode episode number four where we've ran through the NBA playoffs Russell Moore's article in the New York Times and obviously Lecrae's appearance on first take We're looking forward to next week in episode five. Please join us then Until then we're signing off and I got one thing to say go Spurs go
2: My final statement is, why don't y'all give Luke another read and then maybe you'll see like I see.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And with that, we're out. (laughs)